Hello and welcome back to Motherhood Interrupted. I am your host, Kimberly Levy. You guys, I lost my voice, so I'm going to spare you. I'm not going to record a fully new episode, but I just wanted to check in and wish you guys a very healthy, happy Thanksgiving if we don't chat before then, which we probably should, but we will be traveling. So if I don't check in with you live, I just wanted to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. I lost my voice, but this sadly is an improvement from yesterday where I literally couldn't even speak at all. I wanted to introduce you to our guest. This is a replay from last year, and I have my guest, Renee Reinardson, who underwent 19 rounds of IVF and used a sperm donor. At the time of all of these intense fertility treatments, she was also a frontline worker. So listen to her story, enjoy it. This is an incredible, incredible story, and I wanted to thank Renee again for coming on. I love you, Renee, and have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Guys, I'm so excited because I have Renee Reinertsen here, who I have been following for, gosh, at least a year and a half, I think probably closer to two years. And I've been fangirling over her and so enthralled with her story all about fertility. And Renee, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is super exciting. I feel like a virgin to podcast. Yay! Another virgin. You're my third virgin this week. Oh, I love it. (laughs) It's a busy week for you. (laughs) That sounds super super creepy. Um, but welcome. I truly am so excited. And it's funny because I'm sitting here fangirling over you because you know, when you follow people on Instagram and you're just so in their story, you feel like, you know, yeah, them, you actually yeah I feel like I'm like friends with some people and they're like, who are you? And I'm like, it's me, Renee. I've been following you. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, you have no idea who I am, but I know all about you, but I want to mm-hmm. know everything about you. So, okay. Renee, can you just give us a quick recap about where you live, your age, and what you do? And then we'll dive sure. into your fertility story. Sure. So I live on Long Island and I'm 40 and I'm a PA. I've been practicing as a PA for, I don't know, I think like 14 years. Um, I worked in the ED and now I'm in urgent care and I'm single. <laughs> All right. Single. And are you ready to mingle or you're just single? I'm always ready to mingle. I've been mingling. I mingle all the time. Good, good. I like that. That's a shout out. If anybody has any, you know, brothers or nice friends or single, age appropriate, she's single and ready to mingle. I am ready to mingle. Oh, yes. Okay, wait. So a PA, that's a physician's assistant. Is that right? Physician assistant. Yeah. It's basically like a mini doc. It's comparable to like an, um, yeah, I guess like you could say a mini doc. You know, we diagnose, we have our own patients. We do basically the same. And so what field do you do that in? What types of patients do you care for? So I'm in urgent care now. I used to be in the E in the ER, mm-hmm. but now I'm in urgent care. So it's just right now with COVID and everything, it's just slim. And so it's any type of patient can walk into the urgent care. It can be whether it's like COVID patients, someone with an abscess, some chest pain, short of breath, um, anything and anything. Wow. I didn't realize that's what you were doing when you were in the height of uh, COVID and pregnancy and all of that. Yeah. adds a whole other layer of complexity to your story. Yeah. That was, it was wild in 2020. Um, I mean, that's when like 
basically all of New York shut down and everybody was coming to our urgent care to get tested because nobody really knew much about what was going on. So that was, it was a pretty wild and scary time, but it was also kind of not, I don't want to say cool, but it was interesting to be like in the mix of it and to see it all happening like live, you know? Yes. It's, it's like a timepiece. I mean, that's your part of history and such a yeah. you know, front lines basically. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. And I felt bad because a lot of people, their fertility clinics closed and their cycles were put on hold. And thankfully mine was not. So our clinic stayed open. I kept going and a lot, a lot happened during 2020, you know, we're in 21, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, God, it's, all, it's all a blur. I know it's all a blur. I saw a meme the other day that said something about like, we're still processing and going to therapy for 2019, but it's about to be 2022. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, like I don't even remember what's happened, but whatever. It's crazy. It's so crazy. It is. Insane. Yeah. And um, yeah, actually our transfer ended up getting delayed because of all of this, which I can share, you know, later, but so, okay. So you're, here you are, you're in Long Island, you're single, yeah. you're successful. Yeah. How, so, and you're dating around, but you're still yeah. single. And all of a sudden you're like, I need to get, you have the itch, the, ba- the baby itch. Like you're like, my yeah. ticking. so <clears throat> when did that all start? How did this fertility journey come to be? And tell us about like, sure. Vision as far as doing this as a single person. Okay. So, I mean, I was married in my early thirties and when we were trying to conceive, I would, we did a couple of rounds of Clomid and, you know, just as a woman, you just kind of have a feeling like something's not right. Like I definitely in my twenties should have been knocked up at least 10 times, like no joke. And I kind of knew like, okay, this is kind of bizarre. The Clomid didn't work. Um, nonetheless, our marriage didn't work out. And then I think I was like 34, 35 and I was dating around and I did have uh, somebody that I was seeing, but I kind of was like, listen, I just, I want to do this. I knew I needed to be a mom. I, I had so much support for my family. I'm like, what am I waiting for? I make enough money, have my own place. Like I had a terrible marriage. So let me just try. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So when I went to my first IVF clinic and he ran basic labs, the, the dude was like, listen, uh, you know, basically you have a shot in hell. He was like, you know, your levels are really low. Your FSH is really high. And already right from the bat, he was like, you should do a donor egg. Now, when you tell me that I can't do something, you're just going to make me say, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. So that's, let's fast forward. That was, I think that was in 2017. And then just from that beginning, my levels kept declining, declining at the in the beginning, it was like a 15% chance. And then I went from clinic to clinic and um, I just kept going. Now, mind you, during that time, I did have some relationships and I did share that this was what I was doing. And most of them seemed okay with it. You know, I was like, this is my, this is my goal. And if you want to be a part of it, you can, but in my head, like I knew that I was still going to do it with donor sperm, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't want anyone to feel like I'm using you for that. You know, oh, Does that make yes. Sense? yes, no, that totally makes sense. But that's, I love that you stuck to your, like your game plan and you didn't waver or deviate <clears throat> or let someone kind of take you off course. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know, I know that probably sounds weird. And there was somebody towards the end who, um, I think was like two, 20, 
2019 and 2020. I dated for about a year. And we would kind of go back and forth as to whether or not he wanted to be involved or be a part of it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, it sounds so freaking crazy because I'm sure people are like, why wouldn't you want to? Then that person will have their biological dad. But I really just wanted to do that. I don't know. It's not like, I feel like I can't even put it into words. I just knew that I'd started this journey by myself and I didn't want him to feel like, I don't know, that he was indebted to me or that this was something that, and listen, we're not together. Put, put it that way. It didn't work out. And I'm kind of glad it didn't because I think in the back of my mind, I knew that I never wanted any of that. I didn't want someone to come in and question what I was doing, want to be involved because he, he felt threatened, for example, because there was, you know, I was doing it alone. So I'm glad in hindsight that I didn't steer away from what I wanted to do. Does that make wow. sense? Oh, that makes so much sense. I love that. It shows me so much strength for you to be like that just determined and self-confident. Like, I feel like the default would be for most women to be like desperate for someone to, and I love that you were like, this is my journey. I know my truth. If it feels right, I'll go with it. Like you're going by your gut, but like, like you said, the back of your mind, like, you know, that the better thing is to just stay on the course and just do you. And I just, I think it's a sign of your independence. And I'm sure it sounds ridiculous to some people because like, why wouldn't someone say, oh, if you have somebody, why wouldn't you want that family? But I didn't want to, I don't know. I felt like I started this on my own. It's like, this is what I wanted to do. So if you were, so it's not, it's not, it's not a bad thing. Like I have a stepdad, you know? So I think no matter what, whoever I meet, whoever I'm with doesn't necessarily mean you have to be biologically intertwined, you know? And there are many people who are married who have to use a donor egg or a donor sperm and they're still their parents. It doesn't mean that they're not. So I think whoever I wind up being with should and, and hopefully will be okay with taking me and Mila, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And I think it's a better way to go rather than just settling for like some random guy just because you know him versus- yeah you know, it sounds like you're almost holding out for the right man, but at the same time, you, you want to grow your family on your terms. Yeah. And I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love it. So you're, it, so you're looking into a sperm donor, you're learning about the egg situ- your, you know, your situation's not looking great at first. Okay. Yeah. So then what happens? Um, so when you mean like when they told me that my chances weren't good. Yeah. So what's that next step? So the next step was just, I'm going to keep doing this as many times as I have to. I did a lot of my own research. I basically, I want to say interviewed because I ask a lot of um, these reproductive endocrinologists. I want to see, get their feedback, see what their thoughts are instead of just going to whatever clinic is going to take me. Because a lot of clinics said, oh, you should do a donor egg. Um, So through all of that and figuring out what I can do, my mentality just kept telling myself, it's a numbers game, Renee. Like it's not going to happen one time. It's not going to happen after five cycles. Like I would only get one or two eggs and one per- somebody else can have one cycle and get like 19 eggs. So if I kept telling myself it's a numbers game, it's just going to take a long time. I know that there's no way that I have zero good eggs. I'm just going to have to keep doing this. And I took out a lot of loans, um, 
a lot of personal loans. And to be honest, I used a lot of my support was from my account that I started because I would take you guys like on me. I would take the subway into the city. I would go on my egg retrievals. My egg retrievals, I wasn't sedated for most of them. So I would like come out and I'd be like on, on crying, like, well, I got no eggs. And it, I just felt like it was like a team effort, even though I didn't know anybody who was following me. And that kind of in the end, I don't say, I don't want to say it pushed me, but it, it kind of helped, held, not held me accountable, but I just felt like there was so much support there that I'm like, I can do this. I got this. It's one failed retrieval. Let me just go do another one. And I'll just keep doing it and keep doing it until I get an egg. That's good. That's viable. An embryo that's normal. Wow. That is wild. So a big part of the reason why you felt like you could push through and you should push through was because you had that energy from the group and support yeah. around you on Instagram. Because for those of you that don't know, Renee has this account, Infertility Struggles, and she documented her journey in a very intimate way. And you had how many cycles of IVF? 19. 19. 19. 19 cycles, two were canceled because by the time I got to the retrieval, there was nothing there. And then, so I had 17 retrievals. And can you explain what, I think that I saw you had mini IVF cycles. What is that? Yeah. So, yeah. So mini IVF just means that it's less medications. So the thought behind this is because I don't have a lot of follicles, I only have maybe two follicles or one instead of bombarding me with max stims, which a lot of facilities do. The first couple of facilities I went to, they would do max stims, which means I'm on the highest doses of gonoleth and menopure and clomid. And because they say, they think that because you only have a couple of follicles, you need to really get them, pump them up and get them to grow. But mini IVF is the opposite where, listen, whether it's one or two, it's going to grow. It might take longer. So instead of frying them with all of these medications, you don't need all this FSH, just give a little bit. So instead of giving 300 of gonoleth, maybe give 75 units. Um, it might, you might not stim for only eight days or 10 days. Like some people, you might stim for 15 days, but at least you're going to have a quote unquote healthier egg because you didn't give it so much FSH, if that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. And <clears throat> so how old were you and what was your AMH when you first started the journey? When I first started, when I first got my labs, I think I was 34 and my AMH was 0. 0.5, 0.52. And my day three FSH was 22. The, the lowest was 22. And then I would have like 28, 26. And those are high. You want your day three FSH to be less than 10 in order to have a good response with IVF meds. Yes. I, and, and so the AMH is just for folks that don't know about yeah. mm -hmm. AMH and FSH. AMH has to do with the number of eggs that you can produce. Is that right? Like the number of eggs in your reserve? So, yeah. So AMH is your ovarian reserve. So mm -hmm. ideally you want to have a higher number. You don't want to have in the, in the decimals, like 0.5. My lowest was in 2018. I didn't check it after that, but in 2018, it was 0.1. So it was drastically going down. So that's just your ovarian reserve, but then also your AFC, which is your antral follicle count. That's 
how many dormant follicles you have, which are checked on day three of your, of your cycle as well. So what that means is if you have five or four or three, that's basically how many can potentially grow, not meaning they're all going to grow. Um, AMH kind of correlates with your age in terms of if your egg quality is going to be good. So my AMH was low, very low, but I wasn't ex very old. I mean, I think 34 is young, 35, they consider advanced maternal age. Um, so I still had a shot. Like I felt like it's not like I was 40 with that. 34, I know that there's still going to be a good egg in there, even though my reserve was low, which is why I kept telling myself, it's just a numbers game. It's just a numbers game. Eventually I'll get it. Yes. And then the FSH, that's indicative of what? So your FSH is, is how you're going to respond. So your FSH starts rising. So mine would rise in the luteal phase, which means the end of after you ovulate in your cycle prior. So as your F, so let's say it's December, I, I ovulated. Normally my, my FSH starts rising. So it starts making a follicle grow already. So when, a, when somebody has to do an IVF cycle and they get their period, that's when they start their IVF meds. But because my FSH is already so high, it's not going to respond because the body already thinks that a follicle is growing. So you give somebody medication when their FSH is 22, you're only going to have that one follicle grow. So ideally, you need that FSH to be less than 10 if you want to have more than one follicle grow. Got it. Okay, so for me, just for like another point of reference for folks yeah. listening, for me, my baby three is where we had trouble. And so at 34 years old, I went in, same thing, gut feeling, how come? Because the first two I got pregnant, my husband looked at me, easy. My kids yeah. were 16 months apart. At 31 and 32, I had kids. And then 34, it was like, why isn't this working? We're six to eight yeah. months in. It doesn't make sense. So my, so at 34, my FSH was 10. My AMH was 0.7, which I think wow. was like 70% less than, yeah. and then we had tried like IUI and Clomid and all the things. And by the time a year had passed and none of those things worked, my AMH had dipped to 0.3. Wow. So what was shocking and tell me if you agree with this, because I'm definitely yeah. not in the medical field and you're far more experienced in this, but like, I think one thing for, that I like to share with people from my understanding is that you would think fertility is like kind of like a gradual decline, like aging, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, you start the little Botox and then you got it. So <laughs> everything you think as far as aging goes is mm -hmm. gradual. And in this case, it almost felt like it went from totally good. You're totally fertile to just a steep drop. Like, is that, is that accurate? I don't think it's a steep drop. No, not at all. No. I guess my question, okay. the thing, the question that I would ask you is, did you know, obviously, since you conceived naturally before, mm -hmm. but did you know at any point prior what your numbers were? I didn't have any baseline. Yeah. Testing, so no. I'm curious if let's say you already were on the lower side. But because your age, because at the end of the day, age really does play a huge effect into it, not just the AMH. So who knows? Your AMH could have already been low, but because you were younger, it was a lot easier to conceive. And then when you checked it, you just happened to see that it was low. That's what I would think, because yeah. I don't I don't think it's going to go from, let's say, an AMH of two to within a year, 0.5, you know, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that it's more gradual. Yeah. But. So, cause a healthy AMH, what is, what should it have been for us? 
ideally. I believe it's over. It should be over two. Yeah. From my understanding. Yeah. From what I remember correctly. Yep. So you get your baseline information, Mm -hmm. not looking great. You decide you're going to go take out loans and do IVF. Can you educate us a little bit about when and how the sperm donor, like, how does that work? Because to us, that's a black box. It just seems like very mysterious, maybe. How do you go about that? And at what point are you looking into it? And just how does that all go down? You mean like, how do I pick it or how do you find it? Both. Okay. So honestly, I didn't know anything either. I think I just Googled like, oh, I'm sorry. The clinic gives you different banks that you can Hmm. look into. So the bank that I use was California Cryobank. And it's actually kind of cool. I mean, it's, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. You can basically pick what you're looking for. Like you can pick, uh, they'll give you like stars that you know, or like famous people, if you want someone to look like that. Um, Race, ethnicity, blood type, age, how tall they are. Legit, you can just like mix and match and make whatever you want. It's kind of wild. But, and then you can look into their family history and you can look at baby photos. You can choose if you want them to be anonymous or if you want them to be not involved, but be able to be reached when the child is older. I don't, it's a lot of work. I felt like it was like a second job because you have to look into all of this and the maternal and paternal history. And if there is, you know, things that you don't want in there, you know, like if there's a long history of like cancer or something, obviously, you know, you don't want something like that because that's hard to deal with, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. So what did you choose for Mila in terms of her father? Did you choose someone that you can contact or not contact? No, 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 no. because it's, it's a donor. I mean, that person's nothing to her. It's I, I, like I said before, I think of it as if let's say I was married to somebody who unfortunately didn't have viable sperm, we would have to get a sperm donor. So yeah. that's the same way that I think about it. She, it's nothing. It's not it's just genetics. Okay. So then what year is that where you start all of this and then how long and how many cycles do you go through? And, and I know that you've had some heartache too along the way. And I think it's important to talk through, you know, when you get pregnant or you don't get pregnant, you do a cycle. Like, can you just walk us through a couple of those highlight milestones that, you know, out of those 19 rounds? Yeah. First of all, so what year do you start it in? I feel like it's such a blur. I want to say, was it 2016 or 17? Maybe oh it was in April. It was in April. I remember, but I think it was 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Maybe it was 16. I'm not sure. One of those. So um, the first, I don't, I don't know. It was a lot of failed retrievals. That was the thing. Like I really never got to the transfer part very often. I did have a couple of transfers, but the majority of the failures were because I didn't get an egg or the egg was degenerated or the follicle was empty. That was the biggest thing. I had a lot of empty follicles and a lot of degenerated eggs. Now, empty follicles is not a real thing. I mean, it's, it's the egg is in there. It's just not released. So I spent a lot of time researching and figuring out how I can get that egg. And because my, what I did was with every time I came out of that OR and they said, sorry, Renee, there was no egg. I would basically cry for probably three days, down myself with wine and tequila. And then I would like, be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like there were legit some days that I came home after my failed retrieval and I would go on like a six mile run. And people were like, how the fuck are you doing that? I'm like, I don't know. Cause I never got sick afterwards because you only take it out one or two follicles. So I didn't have any issues. It was the only way that I mentally could be like, okay, this 
fucking sucks. I'm just going to keep moving on. And then after I would go through that short grieving period, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this again. I'm one failure after another. We'll keep doing this. And I kept looking for ways to make it happen. Like I kept looking for ways and research how I can find an egg, why I had empty follicles. Should I change the triggers? Should I change the, the sizes of when we trigger? Um, and thankfully, my last physician was open to doing all these things that I would research and Google, you know? Sorry, she's awake. She is. Yeah. My mom okay. It's okay if she makes a guest appearance. No. <laughs> <laughs> she has a lot of fans, you know. Yeah. So had you ever been pregnant before? Like, Never. did you ever even miscarry or anything like that? Nope. Wow. So before Mila? Know. Wait, before Mila, you mean? Yeah. Did you know if yeah. you could even get pregnant? Because I know that's a step. <clears throat> yeah. No, before Mila, I was pregnant with IVF twice. So in 2018, in May, I got my first normal embryo. I don't know if you were following me then. And we transferred. It was a girl. And I, we had the heartbeat, everything. And I miscarried at seven weeks. I remember that. That's yeah. Right. And then yep. he was like, oh, it happens. I'm like, that's fucking weird. It doesn't happen. But then it took me another two years to get another embryo. So for those two years, I'm doing cycle after cycle after cycle to get an egg, to get an egg, to get an egg. And then in May, again, of 2020, I got an embryo. It was a girl and I wound up having a chemical. The crazy thing is I had a miscarriage on May 25th of 2018, May 25th of 2020, the same exact day is when I found out it was a chemical. Both of those were girls too. I'm like, May 25th is so fucking weird. That so after insane. I, yeah, that's, that's wild. So then after that chemical, that's when I was like, okay, this isn't normal, like two normal embryos. My body's not holding it. I'm like, I know that I have endo. My doctor's like, you don't have endo. Like, I'm telling you, I have endo. There's no reason why my body's rejecting these. So after some pushback, he was like, okay, we can look into it. And I was right. And then I wound up having my last in August, stage three endo. I, after I had the the endo removed I went in for follow-up with my reproductive endocrinologist like a week later and he was like hey listen you happen to have a follicle I don't know do you want to retrieve it I'm like who cares just do it it's probably all messed up anyway I was under anesthesia all that stuff and that wound up being Mila oh my god so were you going through IVF at that time so you had just removed so I didn't the endometriosis I just removed the endo and then I wound up having a, a follicle that was happened to just be growing like naturally and, yeah yeah exactly and then he was like there and I was like I didn't I didn't even want to go through that I think he even talked about it on my I think I even posted on my grid I was like after I found out that I wound up having a, a good egg um I was I didn't even want to do it I was like I literally was like nope there's no point I'm gonna start fresh actually believe it or not I think I also said that once I got that diagnosis of endo I felt like I felt clean. I felt like, okay, everything makes sense. I was ready to close that chapter. And I was ready, I was ready to toss in the towel and say, okay, I'm good. At least I know why now, but I was exhausted. My life was so different after all those years and I was different. Um, so I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm over. I'm done with this. But then like last minute I said, you know what? Take it out. Who cares? It's just another one. It's just another damn retrieval. Like at that point it was so 
like old hat to me. I was just like, whatever, who cares? Do it. You know, it felt like more of like a normal monthly thing, as weird as that is. Like who thinks of an egg retrieval as a monthly thing? But um, I did. And then that wound up growing and it fertilized, it grew, and then it wound up being genetically normal. That is wild. So that was not an IVF cycle. I didn't take any meds. Uh, I think at the end, he wound up making me before, well, he retrieved it. But I think at the end, like two days before we triggered to take it out, I think he was, he wanted, he saw another one. So then I wound up doing, I think it was like three days of Menipure, not Conralef. I think it was three days of Menipure. And then, yeah, three or four days because he wanted to make sure it was growing. And then he went, we wound up doing a double trigger and then he retrieved it. That is, I mean, it is the craziest story. And also we haven't even talked about all the shots and everything. And it sounds like you're kind of like me. I'm just inferring this just, I don't know. I'm assuming this. So, you know, I'm not afraid of shots at all. I've never had an issue, but I know there's a lot of women that do, and they have to have their husbands do all the shots. And to them, it's like a very big dramatic thing. Like that one influencer did like an eight part series on her IVF journey and I forget her name. Um, she's like, I'll have to look her up. But anyway, like some people, this is like a very hard thing just to like do the actual shots and yeah. they can't even like look and it's very stressful. Like for me, the shots were like not even the issue. It was just the, mm-hmm. the time, the energy, the emotional roller coaster, the perseverance, all of those other things, the actual shots and bruising and hormones and all of that stuff that I feel like a lot of people focus on that wasn't even the hardest part for me how about you uh no and it's actually funny that you say that because I think the one thing that I don't I follow a bunch of people but not so so many people because when I first started my account it was just more like as me to like vent out there but I I know that there's a lot of infertility accounts where they share you know all of their their shots when they do their injections and like you're saying and and that's very much a part of their journey and then they'll they'll kind of then they have these like after they do transfers these certain things like everyone says oh you go eat fries and you do that and my journey wasn't so much about that it wasn't like oh my god this is awful the shots like like I I never even talked about the shots like it wasn't even that it was more just like the mentalness and the emotional part of, and the perseverance and the, just having to go from one, one retrieval to the next. It, but I did never spoke about like shots. It wasn't anything to me, like even doing the, the I am progesterone shots in my butt. Like, yeah, that, that was hard to do at first, you know, trying like reach around, but I mean, I did it, but it wasn't like, and I know a lot of people like would have like, okay, every, every night I'm going to do this shot. Everyone follow me and watch me. And that's great that that's what they focused on, but mine wasn't like that. I wasn't, no, no. Yeah, me too. And, and I, again, I don't think we're saying this like from a place of judgment. It just is interesting because I just sense that from you, because the reason why I'm bringing that up is because it actually is physically grueling. Like it is, and you're, you're not even focusing on that. You're talking about I feel like to your point, yes, that came through for me as well. Watching you was like, you never once complained about all of the shots. Like, it's almost like that wasn't even a blip on the radar, but the reality is it's hard. That part of it is really hard. And, you know, like for me, I remember having all this bruising on my butt, like 
up to the bruising didn't go away on my butt till I was like 20 weeks pregnant with this pregnancy. I mean, yeah. Oh my God. It was just something that I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. You know, like I wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, I didn't make it like, oh my God, what was me or anything? Cause I felt such a strong, like gratitude. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I know was in the back of my mind, and I'm wondering if this, like how you kind of perceive this is part of me also felt like there could be a health risk for myself to be mm-hmm. putting all these hormones in my body, but I just proceeded forward. And I don't know, I just felt like it's worth it. It's going to be okay. Like, did you, do you feel scared about having to risk your own body to, to do all of this with all of these hormones and drugs? What do you think about it? Um, to be honest, I didn't even, never even thought about it once until you just brought that up. I think I just saw myself as this like machine that was just so focused on doing whatever I could, sacrificing whatever I could, whether it be family, friends, my body, my job, money, in order to become a mom. I, I didn't, I kind of put all that emotion stuff and thinking about like what it, in the end it could do to my body, if anything, I put that all aside. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was more like looking at the finish line. I needed that. I needed to cross that finish line and any obstacle that was there. I didn't even look and see like how it was affecting me or my life or a- anything about me. And I just was just like, I see it. I see it. I know it's there and I'm just going to keep going and who cares what happens, you know? I do know. And I'm so glad you said this because this is something again, that people don't really, I don't, I haven't heard anyone talk about this and you're the only person that said this and this is similar. So, and I want to say this for people that are listening, if they're going through IVF, because it is a lot in terms of just the sheer logistics. Like I'm not even talking about again, the shots and all of I mean, being on the phone with insurance companies, getting the right medication, oh my God, yeah, doctor's visits, it's time and labor intensive. Okay. Like you said, it's a second job. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that I remember my family kind of looking at me like, you're crazy. You have a boy, you have a girl, like, you know, no one ever said that to me, but it was a sense. Like they were kind of looking yeah. at me like, almost like this is so unnecessary and over the top. Right. But here's the thing. If someone is out there listening, I just want to share that you and I both have something very much in common, which is we knew in our gut, we could, for me, I always focused on like when things got really hard, especially, which believe me, it does get very hard, way harder than I ever imagined. But I would always imagine that baby. And I knew that baby was waiting for me in my gut, in the deepest, like in my life or whatever, like I just. I saw that baby. I would imagine holding the baby. There was a lot of visualizations that I would do. Same. Really? My visual, my visualization that I will always, the one that would always pop into my head is me driving, looking in the rear view mirror and looking in the mirror there and seeing her face. And that was another big reason why I didn't want to do a donor egg because it was just me. I wanted some sort of genetic tie, but that is all I kept thinking about every single time it was in the car, looking in the rearview mirror and seeing her face. And I knew it. I knew that was going to happen. I felt it. And I'm like, I don't care. But exactly like you said, the visualization of that baby. Okay. Renee, I had a moment the other night where this baby, I think she was really hungry and she started kicking like crazy. 
And I sat there and I was like, oh my God, like this vision is like, there is a heartbeat. There is a human, this is a thing. Like it was such a, like, I was like, it like took my breath away. Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. It literally is like when you dream and you, you're like, basically everyone's, everyone else thinks you're batshit. They're still rooting for you, but they also think you're kind of batshit, you know, in reality. But when you are literally dreaming this up and then it starts to happen finally after being kicked and pushed and shoved and defeated for so long, like it's incredible. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And I, yeah, there are definitely people that I know thought I should give up like a hundred percent. And they were like, what are you doing? You're torturing yourself. But I, it was, I don't know. It was a second job. You know, like a lot of people would do, I don't know if you did that. Well, no, you didn't yet because you didn't have your baby, but um, I mean, you might do it. You know, they take all like the, the shots and they, the, the injections and the, the, the needles and syringes, and they take a photo with it. I couldn't do that. I don't know why I had bins of needles. Like I, my hospital was like, yo, can you like take them in like steps? Like stop bringing them all in bins. Wow. I just, I couldn't do that thing I don't know why and no judgment to anyone who does it I think it's great but I mentally couldn't get into that place where I felt like I don't know I that part was not so much of my journey I when I think of my journey I think of screaming at like the nurses the financial people Cigna my insurance being at work crying I'm in the middle of with a patient and then I get the phone call that you know the egg didn't fertilize like I'm thinking about the emotional part of like how intense it was for me to even get things done like the biggest thing with my clinic was I had to like advocate for myself all the time you know the nurses wouldn't get back to you and I'm like it's five o'clock how much am I giving myself tonight 75 150 like I'd be on the phone I'm at work and I'm trying to like not have patients scream at me for making them wait but I'm like trying to manage two things the insurance company like are you gonna pay for my medication or not like so that's what I think about I don't think about the you know all, all the shots I think about the anger that I had. Yeah, no, it is. That is so true. And I feel like that's the part that's the least discussed, but it's actually the biggest part of the journey. It's almost like, cause you're a runner and I, I run, I like to run also, you know, it really does remind me and now it sounds trite saying it, but like, it does remind me of like running a marathon or like, yeah, it's a mental toughness game. And you and I both were like racing to the finish line, like running and And it's, it's, you know, it's treacherous. It's truly emotionally treacherous, but I just, you know, I think it's important to talk about this and to share your story, especially because it is so extreme. But for me going through IVF just a couple of times, like, I mean, you do want to give up. It's a lot of time and money. And then to see people like you and hopefully now me to say, okay, it worked for them. It's going to work out. And to just know that in your heart, I think that is actually probably the most important thing is like that faith. And it doesn't even matter if you're religious or whatever it is. Yeah. Like just that knowing, like if you can see that baby in your mind, like don't waver, just keep going through it and fighting for it. And, you know, the other thing I'll say, and this is the only other thing that comes to mind when I think about the actual shots themselves was I also would take a pause and do like a gratitude moment before Mm -hmm. the shots 
when I remembered because, you know, it's like, oh God, I got to do these shots again. Like, it's just like another to do. Um, again, not that I was so like, not that it was so difficult for me. I always gave my, myself the shots and all that stuff, but I would sit there and hold the medicine and, and visualize all the people out there that would do anything to have this medication in their hands, because I know how hard it was, how expensive it is, how much you have to go through to get to this point. And I would sit there and really try and just be so thankful and just say, thank you. And I would also try and push out that energy to these women that were in desperate need of getting to do this also. So that those were like the visualization, the gratitude and the mental toughness, I think. And then of course, having people like you inspiring me were huge for me. That's really, that's, that's sweet. And it's, it's, I guess I never realized like I never realized the, I don't want to say impact because I'm not like, I'm not anybody. I'm just a regular person who shares her story, but I never realized the impact that I had because I would always get almost daily, like one or two messages always asking like how the biggest question I get is how did you do it? How do you keep moving forward? I had another failure. And that's, it's, it's the hardest thing to answer, but also the easiest if that makes sense because all that comes to mind is I just like I said in the beginning I just kept reminding myself that it's a numbers game and I wouldn't I wouldn't go in with expectations even though that's so hard but I just kept saying okay it's going to happen eventually but I would never tell anybody don't give up like that's the biggest thing because I hate it when people told me don't give up because nobody knows where you are emotionally or mentally So I'll never tell anybody, don't give up. I'll just say, this is what got me through it. This is, I was, I'm a realist. I just would say it's not going to be a few times. Um, But I, I guess I just never realized how much of my story, how it helps people even just to talk to, because I'll always talk to everybody, anybody that messages me, I'll always answer, you know? Well, I have to tell you on behalf of your whole community that you formed, you have really inspired all of us because you were just so raw and honest and your case was just so extreme that it was like, okay, if Renee can do this for 19 rounds, I sure as heck can get through two or three of them. You know, I mean, yeah, it's quite the captivating story. And then the way you conveyed it and everything. Okay. So then can you tell us, so you get pregnant how was yeah. your pregnancy? And I want to hear about your, your labor and Mila um, okay. you can share. Can you cover all of that? Go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Ready? Go. Um, <laughs> my pregnancy was actually fine. I mean, and that's like, I didn't have any symptoms, like, but I also didn't get really any side effects from all the gonalef and menopure. And I mean, ever, all lectures all comid, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just not sensitive to it, or maybe I'm my mind, like, doesn't allow me but I didn't have nausea I didn't have food aversions like I had nothing and I was even like am I pregnant so that was fine the I think the biggest thing was just my only symptom was a cough and reflux towards the end of my pregnancy so that was good I struggled a lot with body image which I think I'm sure most women do when you get pregnant and labor was probably the worst thing ever that's the hardest thing ever, ever, ever. I was induced and I didn't get my epidural for a good, like, I want to say like almost 20 hours. I was like trying to push through to see how I was doing. 
And then I'll never forget. It was like two in the morning and my mom was with me in the room and it was so intense. I called the nurse. I was like, okay, I'm ready for my epidural. She's like, oh, Renee, I'm so sorry. You know, there's like a line. There's a line? What the fuck is there a line for? Well, apparently everybody needed it. So I was like fourth in line on the floor for the anesthesiologist. Literally, I said to the nurse, I was like, okay, whatever you do, I'm about to like, kill me. Give me medicine. Give me morphine. Fucking kill me right now. I want to die. I swear she picked up the phone. She's like, um, so my patient in room three just told me she wants to take her life. Two seconds later, the <laughs> anesthesiologist is there. <laughs> and I didn't even do it on purpose, but literally I was like, oh, wow. So she thought I was going to kill myself. So Okay. So that's so, like the buzzword. Like that's like the, <laughs> that's the, the way you get your, your epidural. Clearly. Yeah. It was just so funny. Cause she's so just like, um, so my patient said that she wants to take her life. <laughs> well, so, so then I got my epidural and I cut, I cut the line. Oh my God. That's hilarious. So, yeah. well, how far along were you when you were induced? Hold 38 her. weeks. Okay. Yeah. Okay, 38 cool. weeks. Did you have feeling additional anxiety because this was such a treacherous journey? Like mm-hmm. for me, all of my pregnancies, I really couldn't take a breath until like the detailed anatomy scan at like 20 yeah. weeks and then viability milestones, you know, like 28 weeks and things like that. Like, did you have any of that, you know, anxiety yeah. happening? Yeah, of course. So the first one was obviously the first heartbeat, right? So that one was anxious. And then the second one to make sure the heartbeat is still there. I think once I got to the anatomy, making sure she had all of her limbs and everything, my concern wasn't so much, am I going to still hold on to this pregnancy? My concern was just more of stillbirth. I don't know why I couldn't get that out of my mind. Once I got past the first trimester, I kind of accepted like, okay, this is, I, I, I knew that I felt that I wasn't going to lose the pregnancy, you know, like I really, the anatomy made me feel better than the anatomy scan, but mentally I kind of was like, all right, it's a normal embryo. Like how much could they have fucked up when they did the genetics, uh, the, the biopsy, but I stillbirth haunted me, like haunted me. I just kept thinking it's idiopathic. I'm, I'm older, IVF, like I don't go over 40 weeks. And then everyone's like, it's your first pregnancy. So you're going to go over 40 weeks and then stillbirth chances increase after that. So I was so, so concerned about that. And that's what took over. And I probably every single OB appointment, I was crying to her. Like I I wanted to be induced. She didn't induce me for that reason, but I was just so afraid that I was going to get this far. And then she was going to be born still, you know? And so why did they end up inducing you? Because I was crying so much. This is so in hindsight, I guess it worked out, but I was so stressed just in general, like being at the end of the pregnancy and just, like I said, I couldn't stop thinking about stillbirth. So I was just crying for no reason while they're doing the, the stress test. I was just so anxious and like, we're watching her move and stuff, all the emotions and my pressure was high. And I was like, I know my pressure is high. I'm crying. And then she retook it, she retook it, she drew some blood. And then I was working the next day and she's like, check your pressure again when you go to work. So I checked it. It was still on the higher side. Um, we even did a manual. We did the electronic and the diastolic, the lower number was high. So I called her to tell her, she was like, okay, you have to come in. Um, your pressure is high and your blood work was had a little bit of protein. When I got to the hospital, my pressure was beautiful, but they still wound up inducing me. 
She just wanted you off her books. Let's be real. <laughs> Probably. I think so. Because it was like, everyone, all the nurses were like, why did she send you in? Your pressure is like, you're, it was like 110 over 70. Before that, it was like 150 over 94. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. I'll take it. At least then that anxiety will go away that I'm not waiting for 40 weeks. But yeah, that's the only reason why they induced me. Got it. Okay, cool. Okay. So then what was that moment like when you held your baby? held Mila and did you have her name picked out so I had her name picked out it wound up being a c-section because I didn't progress yeah so that was terrible I was like throwing up all in a kidney basin as they're like cutting me open it was it was awful um the first thing I thought of when he was like gave her to me was like my life is changed forever like that is the first thing I thought not in a bad way just like I'm I'm in charge of this tiny human. Holy fuck, I can't believe it's happening. Like it was just so surreal. Like, I don't know, but that's that's what I thought of. My life is forever changed. I am now a mom. I don't know. It was crazy. It was it crazy. Is, it is insane. There's that's the that truly having my kids and when they first get you your baby is the happiest moment of your life. Yeah. I no was like, to my husband my life has changed. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. Cause you're like, my life is forever changed. I am, I am now in charge of another life, like a, a precious life. Like it was so wild. And then, uh, then my second thought was probably like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Oh, well that that's for sure. I listen, we, I, my kids are five and four. I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. So just, it's like, it was that. like the blind leading the blind. Seriously. I was like, Mila, what do you think? Okay. We'll try this. <laughs> I know totally. what I was doing. We totally. cry together at nighttime. I'm like, are you tired? I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> so my last question for you is what do you plan on telling her about how she was conceived? And, and I'm asking also from the lens of, I have a four-year-old saying, how did the baby get in there? Mm. And also then I'm like, what am I going to tell this kid? Like, are we going to tell them about the IVF thing? Are we going to, yeah. I mean, obviously when it's age appropriate, of course. Right. Yeah. But like, what are we going to tell these kids? Like you were wanted so badly that we fought to like, I don't even, I yeah. don't know. What do you yeah. think? What do I you think? So. Uh, yeah. I think it's exactly what I'm going to say though. Cause why not? Like IVF isn't like a shameful thing. It's just, it's, I think it's amazing because it allows us to be able to conceive when we can't conceive naturally. So thankfully IVF is out there, but I for sure am going to be like, listen, I just wanted you so badly. I knew you were there because all my embryos were girls. So I knew you were there and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't wait. I didn't want to settle for somebody. Um, it was just all, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I don't feel bad telling her that. I? I don't either. I don't understand the shame around IVF. I feel so proud because, yeah. I, and I don't know why it's, it's, there's like this, and maybe it's, it's a religious thing for some people, which again, I completely respect all, you know, all, all people and their opinions and things. And even if they differ and that's all cool with me, I guess I don't carry the shame about IVF. I feel proud because I, to me, it feels like I fought my heart out for this baby and yeah. I feel proud that I put my own, to your point, like you put your own physical, like treachery aside completely. You just, you and I naturally just were like, oh, yep. That's like, we just, 
we were so focused on this little human. And I feel so proud of that journey that I fought yeah. this little, beautiful, sweet soul, you know? Same. I don't know. I yeah. Don't I, I, I don't get it either. I think I feel lucky that we can do it. You know, like some countries can't even, or the fact that we were financially able to do it, you know, I paid out of pocket the first three years for it. So I, because my body failed me doesn't mean that I can't be a mom, you know, just because my body didn't allow me to do it naturally, even put aside the fact that I was single, even when I tried with my husband and my body didn't want to. And I'm sure when, if let's say I was with somebody, when I found out my numbers, obviously they would recommend IVF too. Um, I'm sure. But just because my body's like, it's not going to happen. I, I perceive that as it's just a little hurdle and I'm just, it's only going to prove to myself more and to my daughter that I overcame what this, I overcame this hurdle. Like, this is how badly I wanted you. Like, even though I didn't have the best reproductive system to conceive you naturally, let me show you what I did to get you. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think I'm thinking the same way. Okay. Actually, I lied. My last real last question for you. I was really curious if you were going to change your Instagram handle out of. A lot of people ask me that. A lot of people ask me that, but I don't know. I feel like I know a lot of people do when they become a mom or once they do conceive, but I, I guess when I first started my account, it wasn't like, it was more like my, my, my life, my story. Like I would travel a lot and share all that. And then I even did some, like, I don't know if you follow me then I was down in Colombia and I had to trigger. So I triggered while I was in Colombia and I did that on my story. <laughs> I had one of my girlfriends show me and I'm triggering and my shirt was up, my boob was showing, but I was like, so I feel like it wasn't just about that. So I don't know why I don't, I don't know. Should I change it? But what am I, I going to change it to? Life with Mila? Life with Mila. Oh, that's cute. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't have any. I know because I guess that makes sense because I'm not like struggling anymore, I guess. Or, or infertility, like when something with like success or I don't know. I, don't I know. like life with Mila. That is cute. Actually. It's, it's your part two of your now, like after you've done this, like then you, now you're in your new chapter. Yeah. I don't, I'm not saying you have to, I'm just. No, but it makes, story. listen, a lot of people, <laughs> believe it or not, a lot of people just feel like asking me, like they'll message me, are you changing your handle? And I'm like, I was like waiting. I'm like, is she going to, I, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know. These are so, it's the funniest thing. We all have such opinions. So listen, I know we're at time. I know you're a busy mom (laughs) and I just, I really have to say, I feel like so excited that I got to meet you and have you on my podcast. I know that you have true, like actual fans, people that like seriously, like really, really have been deeply invested in you and Mila now, and we're so happy for you. And I just want to say thank you for being so raw and real and truly an inspiration like you really really have helped so many women and no idea like you've changed lives so thank you that's so so sweet and thank thank you so much I really I read this was fun this is good this was super fun you're amazing and 
Blessings to you and to Mila. All right, that is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram at Kimberly Lovey and let me know your thoughts about today's show. You can screenshot this episode and let us know what your biggest takeaway was and tag me at Kimberly Lovey and we can share it on our stories. I will see you again, same time, same place next week.